Ladies, hold on to your petticoats. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hey, friend. Welcome back to part two of my answering your questions about business. In last week's episode, I answered a bunch of questions you submitted around identifying your passion, building confidence in it, and taking the leap to begin. And today I'm answering the final three. How do you have or make money to start a business, stand out enough to start a business, and grow your business? Last week's had wisdom that applied to us all, but today's is very specific to entrepreneurs. So just in case you feel like it's not applying to you, I've added a second little bonus episode today with some of the best marriage advice I received long before I met Jeremy and a PS that will make your Instagram scrolling less cluttered. So let's dive into the first group of questions. Number four was all around how to have money while starting. So Lane asked, How long did you save money before leaping into being self-employed? Anya said, how did you manage insurance and health issues, manage budgets when you were starting? The more the merrier said, how long did it take you to make a living doing styling or business courses? And Hope asked, what types of jobs are best for someone who wants to make their side hustle full time? So first off, when it comes to jobs that you can do to save money to start your business or to do while you were doing your business, they fall into three categories in my mind. What can I do that will make me more money or take less energy or where I will learn something? So make more money might be I'm going to switch to another job that is a higher paying hourly so that I can save money for the next year. It's not ultimately what I want to do, but I know that I could get paid more if I switched and did this other thing. So I am going to do that for a season so that I can save money. Or I'm going to do this as my side job because even though I don't love it as much, it pays well enough that I could get by on just doing it part-time. Or what I did was, well, I should say I did do the more money realm in that one of the last jobs I did before I did actually start my styling business is a job that I loathed. I was a cocktail waitress at the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. I did it for four or five years, and it was miserable. I talked about that in episode one. Um, I just hated it. You might really enjoy it. I might love it. But whatever job it is for you, if you're like, that would be just the worst, that's what this was for me. My stomach would be in knots for months hoping that I would magically get a show or something that would mean that I didn't have to do this because it was just miserable. It was like 18-hour days for 14 days straight. You were exhausted. People were rude to you. You were on your feet the whole time. It was just like, ugh, everything I loathe. So, but I did that because I made really good money for me in two weeks. I think I made $2,000 in two weeks, which for me was a lot of money. Um, So I did, one, the job that made me more money. I hated it, but I did it to get the the money. I also did the next category, which was jobs that took less energy. So this means that you put your best working hours towards your business and you do something that takes little energy or is at a time when your brain would be shot anyways to do something else. So I also did nannying while I was getting my business up and going. And that's because I could, I knew that, nights and weekends, my brain was kind of shot, but I could work on my business 
from 9 till 4.30 and then go pick Milo up at 5 and spend the evening with him. When if I was at home, I wouldn't really be getting quality work done anyways. I'd kind of be like putzing around on Pinterest or whatever, and I could do that after he went to sleep. So it allowed me to prioritize my styling business while also continuing to make money. Or the other category would be that you learn something. So, uh, for example, Hope, who asked this question, is a photographer. So in her case, it might be working for another photographer, even though ultimately she wants to do her own thing. She might learn a lot about the technical side of photography or the business side of photography. So that might be a really good way for her to build up her skill set while making money at the same time. The other thing I want to say about all of these money questions is everyone has such different needs. So when Anya asked about health insurance, I didn't have health insurance, but I'd been an actor and already not had health insurance. So that wasn't a new risk for me. That was a risk I had already been taking. That was an uncomfortable position I had already been in. But if you are quitting your corporate job and you've always had health insurance, that's a lot scarier. If you know that you have a medical condition, uh, a health issue, then you have to have health insurance. My aunt has always been in poor health. They have literally moved to other states because those states had better health care scenarios for what she needed. Knock on wood, I was always in pretty good health. And so that wasn't a major concern for me. It was a concern. But again, it was just a risk that I'd already taken. So everyone has different needs in terms of the amount of money that you need. Um, Again, being an actor, I was used to making very little money. I have shared publicly that there are two years that I claimed $10,000 on my taxes living in New York City. I would genuinely have qualified for food stamps and probably should have. I surely was making more money than that. I was getting paid in cash for, you know, waiting tables and tips or nannying or whatever, but still I could not have been making that much more than that. So I was already used to really living on a budget. Again, if you are currently making a substantial salary in whatever your day job is, that could be a much higher entry-level number that you need. My personal goal is I was looking to make $50,000. I was making $35,000 at a miserable desk job that I called the place where dreams go to die. And I thought, if I could just make $50,000 a year, which, mind you, this is living in New York City. So if you're listening to this in, you know, Wisconsin, that's probably substantially more money in order for us to have the same level of lifestyle. I just thought I will feel like the queen of the world. But you might have a a much higher number because of where you have been at in, in your present career. So you have to ask yourself some questions about that. Can I downsize? Can I move to a smaller place? Can I put a pause on, you know, shopping for clothes for the next year? Can I get rid of cable? Like, can I really downsize for a season to make this happen? Um, Do I need to, if insurance is really important to me, do I need to go get a part-time job at Starbucks or one of those places that is known for having great insurance? I've seen people go and work at someplace like Starbucks while they pursue their thing specifically because they know it is an easy job, that is not going to take a lot of their mental brain power. They know it's going to cover them on the financial on the health insurance side financially and then they feel free to go pursue their other passion. Can you buy your own insurance? Sometimes it's just a mental switch of I'm so used to having my health insurance provided through my employer or I got it through my ex-husband, but let me just look into what does it cost to get my own insurance to be part of some, you know, bill sharing 
um, co-op kind of thing. And as far as how long it takes you to make that living, again, it goes back to how much you need. When um, the more the merrier had asked, well, how long did it take you to make a living? Well, what's your definition of making a living? Ours could be very different. Um, For me, paying myself $50,000 took two, maybe it was three years. I can't quite remember. The the reason it didn't take me that long to make $50,000 in my business It took me that long to make $200,000 in my business, of which then $50,000 was my salary. And that was just a number. That was a mental shift financially I wasn't even thinking about when I started. I didn't even realize, oh, wait, there's what my business is making minus the expenses to run my business. And then there's my take home. But every business is different. There are some of you that like when I think about my graphic designer, she has a couple of clients. Um... I would imagine her expenses are way less than mine were. We just built our businesses in different ways. So we could have her story might might have been, oh, yeah, she was making $50,000 paying herself that in one year. And it could have taken me three years. And that isn't necessarily because she was smarter or wiser or, quote, more successful. We just had different business models, different things that we were building. So I think the answer to money is that you can't focus on anyone else's equation. It is very important to focus on your own equation, though. You have X amount in savings before you start, or you are going to work part-time. Here's what you need to make part-time. Here's how you're going to do this. You have higher expenses, so you need that longer runway. You have the ability to lower your expenses, so you're going to do that in order to pursue this dream that you want. Number five were a handful of questions around standing out. Claudia said, I want to start a blog, but I'm not sure what to post that makes me different. Anne-Marie asked, were you scared to show your faith in your business? How did you choose how much or what to share? And Katie left this voice memo. I would just love to hear your thoughts on how to deal with comparisonitis and just feeling behind as a female creative entrepreneur. What I think is important to remember is you are ahead of the person who is starting next year. When Katie says she feels behind or feels comparisonitis, think about the fact that you are only focusing on the people that are ahead of you, that are more successful than you. But if you can zoom out and picture the whole trajectory, there are people that are going to start in a year or three years, and you are indeed ahead of them, and you will indeed be ahead of them if you will start now rather than continuing to hold yourself back and fear. When you look at Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle or Elizabeth Gilbert, someone was ahead. These are three brilliant women who all are in the thought leadership space, who all wrote you know, New York Times bestselling books. But if Brene had said, well, I don't know, but like I'm already behind where Glennon Doyle is. And if Glennon said, well, I'm already behind where Liz Gilbert is, then none of them would have written their like magnificent works that should be out in the world. And now they're all colleagues. They're all on the same level, even though some of them started later or some of them have written more books. Nonetheless, they all are in the mix, in the game, and there is room for all of them. What makes you unique is you. When Claudia asks, you know, how how do I stand out in the blog world? What makes Liz Gilbert so different than any other 
writer who had gone through a divorce and a season of self-discovery and decided to travel the world. Nothing. I'm sure plenty of people have eat, pray, loved their way through grief and loss and a change of seasons. But it was her story and the way she wrote it and the time in which she wrote it. If she had asked herself, well, but what's different about this story? I mean, surely I'm not the first person. But thankfully, she didn't ask that. And we got this beautiful book out of it. So for me as a stylist, I did look at what was going to make me different. I did Google Brooklyn personal stylist and see what were the other main websites that came up. And I did see that I felt at the time there was pretty much two categories. One was pink, purple, super feminine, kind of girl power, all about like stilettos. And, you know, obviously I'm generalizing, but it was kind of that, which just wasn't my vibe. It was a little like Charlotte and Sex in the City, let's say. It wasn't really my thing. And then there was a lot of all black, big sunglasses, front row of fashion week. You know, I, this is very exclusive and you may or may not be approved, but it's going to be luxury. It's going to be high price point. And that really wasn't me either. So I felt like just my general energy, my ideas, the person that I wanted to help, my brand just being me, actually, my teaching is very different. But I didn't know my teaching until I started. It wasn't until I did my first beta clients that created a a rhythm of how I did my sessions. And then when I did dozens of those sessions to the point that I realized I'm just repeating myself. I'm telling everyone the same stuff. This is getting boring to me. And I just want to be able to help more people. If everybody needs the same thing, wouldn't it be so much more fulfilling if I could help hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands instead of a few dozen? So that's why I ended up creating my course. And that will ultimately become the book. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't start out being like, you know what? I got this thing called the two-part fashion cocktail. It's going to rock people's world. I had to get in and start practicing with my clients. I had to start looking for language to describe what is this that I'm trying to say? What's this principle that I'm starting to teach? You know what? It's kind of like a two-part fashion cocktail. And that had to come up. I couldn't have sat in my room and come up with all of these brilliant ideas to know that I had all of this uniqueness. I think ultimately, this just comes back to you need to be willing to start and know that there wasn't something so unique about all these other people. They weren't the first. um, They weren't the most unique. But they just put themselves out there, and it was through that process that they became not the beginner, not the one who was just starting out, the one that discovered they did have something unique to say. And a lot of times your uniqueness, you can't even see. Like, not in a bad way, but like, I don't think I'm that special. (laughs) Um, But I think when you see it through other people's lens, you realize, oh, is that a unique thing to say? I just, I guess I've always thought that way. And it's other people saying, man, no one's ever pointed that out. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Didn't realize nobody else was saying that. So a lot of it is, again, you have to get in to discover it. And the reason that I put in Anne Marie's question here where she said, were you scared to show your faith in your business? This could be anything else that you want to put in here. If you want to say whether or not you share about your anorexia or the fact that you were bulimic or your adoption journey or 
anything else that happens in your personal life and whether you want to bring it into your business. And I kind of folded this into, it felt appropriate for me within standing out because it was part of what makes you unique and um, how can you being you be a success or not. And for me, faith is one example of that where um, for me, it would just be weird to never mention that I go to church. It's just something I do every Sunday. So it would just come up in different stories where I'd be like, one of my stories of how I noticed that I had anxiety was I was driving to church with a friend and I felt like I was on a roller coaster. And I said to her, is this car going fast? We were in an Uber. And she was like, no. I was like, I didn't think it was. But I feel like I'm on a roller coaster right now. Now, I could tell that story without mentioning that I was going to church. It just, I'd have to like be intentional about it. Why? One of my other stories where I had the exact same experience, I was on a retreat with my mastermind sisters in Santa Fe. It's just the way storytelling happens. It just kind of comes out. So there was just no reason for me to be like, I shouldn't mention this. Like somebody might not like the fact that I go to church. And then specifically, I think it's come out a little bit more um, in that that's where I met my husband. And so that story is just something that, you know, people have asked about. And it would just, why would I lie about that? Like that would seem weird. However, on the other hand, religion is not a part of my business. It has nothing to do with what I teach or what my students and I need to have in common. So it's not a part of my courses or my teaching. I'm not trying to teach on religious topics when it comes to my Instagram. It's just a part of my story that comes up. It's something that happens in my week. It's, you know, something that colors the way that I see the world. But for me, it would seem weird personally if I was sharing about it all the time because in my mind, I'm like, well, what does this have to do with style or business? Like, that's ultimately my business and what I'm here for. I'm not a, you know, a Bible reading company that's here to give you devotionals or something like that. So for me to answer your question, Amory, I really have not given it a lot of thought. It just naturally is Sure, it's going to be part of some of my stories. I would have no reason to hold that back. But it also isn't a huge part of my business and that it's not what I teach. And that would feel imbalanced because ultimately what I want to be sharing on the podcast, in my emails, in on Instagram is what I'm sharing in my paid courses, in my book. And those things are about beauty, entrepreneurship, and elegant excellence. Um, But my own story is going to come in there. I will say with that, there were areas of my life that I didn't share. I have talked now in hindsight about the fact that I never shared about my romantic life until Jeremy and I got engaged. That again, it wasn't tied to what I was doing. It didn't matter whether I was single or in a relationship. I was not giving Uh, I was not a a relationship coach. (laughs) I was not doing counseling in that area. I wasn't selling courses on it. So it just didn't apply to what I was sharing publicly. And it felt too vulnerable for me if I shared in a way that other people were like, you know, I think her and -and so-and-so broke up because he used to be on Instagram all the time and now he's not. So I just chose to keep that private. But I have also seen plenty of my colleagues share those things publicly. Some people share about their infertility struggles. Some people don't. Some people share about the highs and lows, the ups and downs of wanting to adopt. Some people don't share until it happens. Some people share 
about their relationships and then the fact that they broke up and they talk about that publicly, other people will never show a photo or a name Uh, a face of their romantic partner, of their children. So I think all across the board, it's about you being authentic to you rather than being concerned about how it's going to be perceived. And that's why I think this comes down to standing out, that Claudia wants to stand out on her blog. Just be you. Anne-Marie isn't sure how much to share or not to share. Just be you and trust that you being authentic is what is genuinely going to resonate with people. I am a four on the Enneagram, and authenticity is a huge motivator for us. So for me, that's just not even a question. It would feel weird for me to share too much or not enough. Um, But I also am very clear about the sharing the things that I am willing to share. I will share deeply and vulnerably, and I will cry every other episode of this podcast so far. But there's other things that I will choose not to share. And therefore, I have so much peace about the things I do share because I don't feel like my life is overexposed. So I think you have to go within yourself and trust that you do have something unique, just like Brene and Glennon and Liz all did, that we want to hear from you. We want to hear your perspective and that if you will just show up and be yourself, it will resonate with the right people. And finally, number six, how to grow. Tamika asked, what was your turning point to get your business to where it is today? And Jilly said, how do you start looking for a business mentor? The three things that have made the biggest difference in my business are education, empathy, and emotional health, a.k.a. elegant excellence, kind of everything that that sums up for me in that journey. So education is about learning from other people who have gone before you, learning from experts, not having too much pride to ask for and accept help. This is something I've talked about before that was a mistake I made early on. I didn't think that I was being cocky. I thought I was being smart financially. I thought, well, I shouldn't invest in a course or a mentor or a business coach or a mastermind until I've reached the end of my knowledge. Once I do that, then I should spend money for for someone else's wisdom. But the reality was, I did have a lot of knowledge, but it was more about, is it in the right order? What do I prioritize? Getting fresh eyes on it, implementing it faster, avoiding mistakes. Once I was willing to start investing more money in my education, which might have meant courses or resources or experts, um, that made a massive difference in my business. The second one is empathy, which means being in community. When I have those people to call to ask something of who get it that I can ask advice of, that makes so much difference because I didn't have any friends that did this. I, um, at the time, was was single. And even if I um, had been with Jeremy at the time, he doesn't know all the ins and outs of this world. I relied way too heavily on my poor roommate and best friend at the time. And I talk about that in episode one. Uh, it was part of the thing that I think ultimately drove us apart is I was putting so much pressure on her to be my person, my answer, when she wasn't a business coach, she wasn't an entrepreneur, she didn't know all the things. So that's why I've created the mastermind. That's why we have groups in some of our different courses, because I, it's through those things, it's through course groups and masterminds that I ultimately met the people that were my sanity, were my business besties, that connected me to the right mentors and coaches and partners down the road. 
And then number three is emotional health. This one came later in the process. And for that reason, business was really excruciating for me for a long time, like four years. And then it's definitely gotten way better over the last four years. But investing in my emotional health is what allowed me to attract A players to my team, retain them without burning them out, um, attract brilliant uh, business partners who wanted to come in, uh, incredible friends that wanted to be in a mastermind together, like incredible colleagues. But with all of that, Tamika's question was, what was your turning point? There was no turning point. Do not wait for the turning point. We dream about the turning point. We're like, one day I'm going to get published on this blog or this person is going to retweet me or I'm going to get featured here or I'm going to get an email in my inbox. I'm going to find that one employee. Like, we're constantly waiting for the day when our entrepreneurial knight in shining armor shows up. And it's this fairy tale that we have in these other areas of our lives. The reality is, You are the strong princess that you have been waiting for. You have all the strength and tools inside of you. And any other thing that comes around, any publicity, any person, any opportunity is going to add to and amplify that. But there is not going to be a day, a thing, a person, fill in the blank, that changes everything. And I think that when we can let go of that, it is so much healthier because we aren't thinking If I can just hold out a little longer, this is going to change everything. This product, this launch, like this amount of money, if I can just get there, that to me is so much of what Elegant Excellence is about. It's about saying I'm not going to keep chasing the carrot because the carrot keeps moving. I've got to choose today to live the life I want to live. If I do not want to be someone who is exhausted, I need to start ending work at six o'clock and taking nights and weekends off no matter how behind I am. Like I need to, there's a Diane von Furstenberg quote where she says, I became the woman I wanted to be. That We need to acknowledge that is us now. We are today, if you are running a business, that you are today the woman that you want to be. It is not coming three years from now and see what a shift that makes mentally to start showing up and acting as if rather than holding our breath, waiting for something. And then all that happens is we aren't getting enough oxygen and it gets harder and harder and harder to keep going. When it comes to Jilly's questions about finding mentors, talk about it. The the best things that have come into my life, it's because I said to a friend, I need help. Will you talk through this with me? I'm struggling. And out of that conversation, she said, I think you need a business coach. Do you know this person? I said, yes. I reached out. That came because I was just talking about it. When I found my business partner, that came because I was just having multiple conversations. I was telling anyone in my life that it was relevant to that that's what I was looking for. And ultimately, that's how it came about. And I met someone I never would have met if I was thinking it was going to come from Google or, you know, any other place. And in the meantime, know that books and podcasts, there are so many resources out there of people who are or can be your mentor without you ever having to meet them. I I can be one of your mentors and you and I never need to meet. I don't ever need to know anything about your story. Will it be more powerful when you do have a one-on-one business coach, a mentor that you spend FaceTime with, a you know partner in your business? Absolutely. But in the meantime, can you grow a ton from saying, instead of listening to everyone under the sun and chasing all these things, 
I'm going to listen to fewer people deeper and because I really resonate with them. I really resonate with the life they have behind the scenes, um, the reality of what their business is. I don't think they're trying to make it all perfect, what their ultimate goals are. We have similar things in mind, the things they value and prioritize. Overall, when I look at my notes here, both from last week and this week's episode, I feel like what I see is, number one, we want a path. We so badly want a guarantee for someone else to give us or assure us of the answer. And that just doesn't exist, which is great news because it means no one else had or has it either. And look at all of these people succeeding. Everyone that you look up to, everyone that has what you want, who is where you want to be, none of them had a path or a guarantee or all of the answers. They just did it, and it's the exact same thing that you can do. They figured it out along the way, and it's the exact same way that you can as well. And number two is, therefore, just start. You have to start to learn in order to know the answers, to discover the answers, to see what will work. You have to start. You have to try. You will fail. You will not be perfect. And again, the great news is, Neither was or is anyone else you look up to. Anyone else that you are looking to has made mistakes, invested money that they shouldn't have, hired the wrong person, threw out a product or a revenue stream that tanked, thought one thing in their business was going to be the day that changed everything, and it wasn't. But they just started, and that is the first step that got them to where they are and where you want to be. And finally, number three, your metrics are your own. Maybe you feel behind someone, but you are ahead of someone else. How much money you need to save up or how much money you need to make in order for this to be your full-time gig or in order for you to feel successful or confident that it's working is so dependent on your life. Those metrics are indeed very important. They are what we need to be wise and safe, to not be going into debt, to not be making risky decisions, to be looking at the numbers, to see that we are indeed growing and things are indeed working. But no one else can give you that equation. Because if I was single and you have six kids, we're in very different situations of what we need financially to make it happen and everything we need to consider in terms of how risky we can be in our decision making. This is the way that I teach goal setting, vision casting, business planning, is that it all comes back to you. That ultimately there is so much wisdom of people around you and take that. But you have to filter everything through what really brings me joy. What am I really passionate about? What does success feel like? How do I want to feel? What do I want my day to feel like? Um, how much money do I need to make? How much security do I need to have? How much risk am I willing to take? How big of an impact do I want? We want such different things. You might want to make $50,000 a year for your business, and that is game changing. And somebody else has a vision that they want to help a million women lose weight. And that is their vision. You could run very different businesses and both climb into bed at night thinking, this is amazing. 
what I've accomplished. This is so cool what my life is. I mentioned this last week. If you want more, I've created some brand new journal pages as an extra gift for this two-part series. It's at hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP. They'll really help give you more clarity about knowing where you're headed and where you want to be going. But wherever you are in your path, I've been there. Everyone ahead of you has been there. It may feel scary or lonely or frustrating, but you're part of a sisterhood and brotherhood of people who have gone before and survived. So I'm here for you in any way that I can help, and I'm proud of you for taking the next step that's right for you today. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is your response to this podcast. And I'll be honest, I think I've already said this once before, but it truly just means so much to me that I really want to pause to let you know that. So this podcast, it does not have any advertising on it right now, and it's not just a constant um, advertisement either for the courses that I teach. And ultimately, I would say it takes about four hours or more to put out each episode that, again, we aren't making any money off of that. By contrast, it actually costs us a lot of money to put out the podcast. There is um, Chris, our audio tech on this episode. There's Camille from Team Dean, who then listens to and puts together all of the edits for the podcast. There's Haley, who does the graphics for it. Andres, who gets the email out. Jason, who gets something like this you know, free PDF that I have. He gets it on the website. Andres makes sure it gets to you via email. Haley helps me create it. So truly, when you leave reviews or you share on IG stories, even when you just like and comment my general posts on Instagram, that is so powerful. And it means so much because it shares the teaching with more people because of the algorithm. Just a general average post on Instagram, the fact that you slow down enough to think, I really appreciate what Hillary brings to my life. I really appreciate the free teaching and resources. And I think a lot of other people would benefit from the business or life coaching that she has. So I'm just going to make a point to always like and comment on her Instagrams because I know that thanks to the algorithm, more people are going to see it. I'm going to download every episode of the podcast and I'm going to comment because I know that that gets it up in the podcast rankings and other people are going to see it. It's truly just that like pay it forward where you actually become part of joining me in helping more people just by being part of the street team, in essence, for this teaching. So I really just wanted to slow down and say thank you. I know so many people, uh, so many of you post on IG stories and share this every week after the episode. I feel like it would not, it would like spam my feed to repost all of them. But I also love whenever I can repost some of them to just let you know how much I really do appreciate it. And the voice notes that you send, the um, the DMs that you send, the reviews that you leave, I read all of those. And I just want you to know how much it truly does mean that this is a passion project. It is something that I believe in so much. Um, and this is absolutely what makes it worth it is your response and how much it means to me when you in thanks help me amplify this message. So know that I am grateful for you. I'm grateful that I can picture how many of you have told me that you listen during your morning walk on the beach or your commute to work 
or your time at the gym early every Wednesday morning and just know that I picture all of you. It gives me such joy on Wednesday mornings to picture where you are in the world as you are listening. And I'm just so incredibly grateful that you are here. So I will see you next week, my dear, with grace and gumption. Till next Wednesday. 